Hallelujah, our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory. Amen. I'll never forget the way that our football coaches in high school prepared us for practice each week. Um, it didn't matter whether you were playing starting quarterback or you were playing with water bottles on the bench during the game. Everybody practiced in all three aspects of the game during the week. And you, do you know what those three aspects of the, games are that, of the game is that the football coaches talk about? What are they? Offense, defense, and special teams, okay? The third one gets forgotten pretty often, but special teams is what I want to talk about this morning. We turned out to be a pretty good football team by our senior year, but from the first day of, of training camp every summer, in the dog days of summer, even for uh, Wisconsin, it was hot, and we ran, and we ran, and we ran, and then we ran up hills, and then we ran some more, and then we would practice offense, defense, and special teams every day. Um, I... <laughs> I still remember it, the, that our team, we weren't always the biggest team, and we, we didn't always have the best offense or the, the most stout defense, but do you know what put us over the top and made us undefeated our senior season? It was excellence and preparation in special teams. It was that area that many, many times is overlooked because um, the, 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 the teams want to be an explosive offense or they want to be a big defense but it's the times when you kick the ball off, or you return the kick, or you punt the ball, or you kick a field goal that often makes the difference in the game. So, uh, coming into our senior year, we went undefeated in plays like going up against Slinger High School, a huge high school, and we were a pretty small school in our day. We won the game because of a punt return and a field goal. I remember going uh, into the first game of the playoffs, we were playing Lakeside Lutheran High School. Ooh, man, they were our rivals, Craig. Our vicar Craig went there. They were our Lutheran rivals, and we got them in the first game of the playoffs, and we were really excited about that game. I got really excited. I played long snapper on special teams, which, by the way, gets no respect at all. You don't know who the starting long snapper is for the Dallas Cowboys unless what happens? Bad snap. So that's the only way that you get recognized. So it's a thankless position. I know that some of you other ones are, are out there as well. It's a long tradition in my family. My father also was a long snapper, and he, he's here today, so he'll appreciate this. Anyways, it was after a touchdown, um, and, I, and I was snapping the ball, and I clearly remember snapping the ball and going up to start blocking. The snap felt a little funny, but immediately I knew it was a bad snap that went over the head of Steve Monroe, our backup quarterback and placeholder, because he yelled, fire! And what happened? Everybody started blocking. Steve rolled out to the right. I can still see it in the back of my head. And he threw a pass to the end zone and hit Dave Lindner for a two-point conversion. Two points instead of one. I can remember coming back to the bench. That was my only botched snap of the year, by the way. I had to tell you. Running back to the bench and Coach Taylor giving me one of these. Lightning. And I remember saying to him, two's better than one, right? <laughs> we've been practicing this all year, and we've been practicing special teams all year from the very first day of training camp. What's my point? Pastor Dan's living in the past. No. My point is this. Be prepared for the unexpected. Be prepared for the unexpected. We can't know what tomorrow holds, but we can be prepared today. We can't know what tomorrow holds, but we can live prepared today. 
Many people go through life um, thinking about things that may be important, but things that really have no meaning past this life. What I mean is this, is that we live moment to moment, and more so in our culture in North America as we look at our screens and we live moment to moment as the feed comes across. We should be excited, should be worried, should be scared, should be thinking about the moment right now. Many people, non-believers, and even believers have gotten so consumed with the moment that we forget about preparation for the future. And so when the tidal waves of life come by and when the bot snap comes, instead of yelling fire and having a plan and executing it, having practiced it, having been prepared, we're left fumbling the ball. <laughs> we're left, what's going on with my life? My life is so chaotic. We're wondering, um, why would God let this happen to me? And we have no resiliency. And it's like we're a, a, a ship that's tossed back and forth. And here's the scariest part about it is that Many people today in our culture have even forgot to think about the day that they will meet their maker, God. And it's very easy for us as Christians in this culture to get wrapped up in the moment so much that we forget to prepare that for God, for Jesus coming back, or for the day that we go to meet him through death. Right? Matthew 24 and Matthew 25 and the season that we're in in the church year called end times is this time to prepare your hearts for that moment. And this morning, um, if you're a skeptic and you think to yourself and you're hearing this, I don't know if I can believe in God or I don't know if there's an afterlife or if I don't know if there's a judgment day and I don't know about this whole thing of eternity, this would be a good message for you to hear because when that day comes, and if you're wrong, it's going to be too late to start thinking about it. And consider this, that you are listening, and all of us are listening here, and we all have unfulfilled dreams, right? C.S. Lewis once said something like, we all have unfulfilled dreams, which is a strong indicator that we are made for eternity. And whether you're a believer or unbeliever, that's true. Because we have disappointment and we want more justice and we, we want things to be... E so whether you're a listener that's skeptical of the end times and Jesus coming back, this is the message for you today. If you're a believer and you've sat here in church for years and years and years and you know for certain that Jesus is your Savior and you know that for sure He's coming back like I do because the Bible says that He is and He's going to take us to live with Him forever, this message is important for you not to sit back and say, ah, I'm comfortable and I'm just going to wait, but Jesus wants you in Matthew 24 and 25 to become an active participant in the preparation. And we're going to talk about why that's so important that you become active in your preparation for two reasons, and we'll get, them to the, get at them to the end. Number one, because you're also going to go through that day when you're going to meet your maker and you want to be prepared that day. Number two, today, all day, every day, and each day until that day, you can live with the peace in your life that your life is in God's hands, and he, when he comes back to get you through death or through judgment day, he's going to be the one taking you and taking care of you from now until then. Okay, the text in front of you is from Matthew chapter 25. The backup to this, the back uh, story is uh, Jesus and his disciples in Matthew 24 are leaving the temple in Jerusalem. And it's interesting, Jesus' disciples, they, they, they 
point Jesus to all the architecture around the, the temple, all these beautiful buildings, and they, they, they're, they're telling him, look at over here and look at over there. And Jesus says, yeah, this is all very nice. And then Jesus changes the subject and he says, one day, this very nice temple, which was beautiful, Josephus would write about this temple, an early church historian, the stones were 40 feet long and they were 18 feet high and 12 feet wide. They were huge stones. It's a marvel in our minds that they could move and cut these stones and put them into place and stack them onto another. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, the day is coming when none of these stones are going to be on top of one another. And in the Jewish mind, especially those disciples' minds, they must, they must have thought to themselves, this is the end of the world if that's going to happen because this is the dwelling place of God. This is our heritage. This is the... And, and Jesus says there's a day that's coming when all of this is going to be destroyed. Uh, a couple of his disciples come to him later and they say, Jesus, uh, tell us about when that's going to happen and tell us about your coming and tell us about the end of the age. Jesus uses that opportunity to do exactly this, to tell them about the end of the world. Of course, the the temple would be destroyed in 70 AD, but Jesus talks about how we should see and experience the world in the end times and what we can do about it. So, he tells us, and I'll tell you right now, we are living in the end times. We're living exactly in the moment that Jesus describes in Matthew 24. There's an intense attack on the gospel message in the world through false prophets, There's an intense attack on lives of people. There's domestic violence that happened 90 miles south of here recently. Father against uh, son, son against father, mother against daughter, and family. And there would be be an increase in violence. There would be an increase in natural disasters, increase in wars, rumors of wars. You can just, like Pastor Patterson said earlier, open up your newsfeed and see it right there. We are living in the moment for Jesus to return. That's what we can see and experience, Jesus says in chapter 24. And then in chapter 25, he says, this is what you can do about it. You can live a life prepared. That's where we get into the parable of the bridesmaids or the virgins, the ten virgins. Jesus says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the groom. Five of them were foolish and five were sensible. When the foolish ones took, the, took their lamps, they didn't take olive oil with them, but the sensible ones took oil in their flasks with their lamps. Since the groom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. In the middle of the night, there was a shout, Here comes the groom! Come out to meet him! Then all those virgins got up and trimmed their lamps, but the foolish ones said to the sensible ones, Give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. The sensible ones answered, No, there won't be enough for us and for you. Go instead to those who sell and buy oil for yourselves. When they had gone to buy some, the groom arrived. Then those who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the rest of the virgins also came and said, Master, Master, open up for us. But he replied, I assure you, I do not know you. Therefore, be alert, because you don't know either the day or the hour. Uh, In these parables that Jesus tells, he takes a cultural truth, a story of the time, um, and then he puts a twist onto it and makes a, a spiritual truth that drives the point across. And here's the interesting things about weddings in that culture at that time that we learn about. It's this groom who goes out to meet the wedding party, these virgins or bridesmaids, 
to take them to be at the banquet. And um, some, some commentators have pointed out that the groom back then, unlike today, uh, who, whose family does all the preparation today for the wedding? The bride, right? That's why we only have one girl. We're trying to save up for just one. Um, today, it's the bride's family, but back then it seemed to be like the groom would be the one getting the preparations ready, getting the banquet hall ready, maybe doing it in his folks' home or his home if he had a home. The groom did it all. But what do we learn about the groom in this story? He's, he's late. He's delayed. Here's the first twist in the story. Key point number one, men are bad communicators and always late. No. Key point number one, the point that Jesus is getting across through the twist is no one knows what tomorrow holds. No one knows. Not the five wise ones or sensible ones in this translation. Not the five foolish ones. It doesn't matter what economic class you come in or what size that you grow up in. It doesn't matter your culture. White, black, Hispanic, um, highly educated, poorly educated, none of you, none of us can know when that day is going to come. We're, we're all in the dark. Jesus says not even the angels know. But a day is coming, whether it's driving home in a, God forbid, a tragic accident, or Jesus comes back. That day is, is here, like I said before, and it's imminent at any moment, right? Because of all the signs that Jesus says to be prepared for. Um, none of these virgins knew when this groom was coming because he was delayed. That's the key point number one. Key point number two, or takeaway number two, is that, did you notice this? The sensible ones, they stayed equipped. The sensible ones stayed equipped. Uh, This morning, uh, I was sitting at the breakfast table staring out the window, right? And my father, who is a preacher of almost 40 years, he asks me, he asked me, so what are your thoughts on the sermon today? In essence, he asked me, what are the thoughts on your sermon today? And I thought to myself, he's preached on this about 10 or 20 times in his life. Don't ask me right now what your thoughts are on it. It's like, I'll tell you my thoughts if you promise not to change mine. <laughs> but then we got into talking about theological things and the word that's used here for wise. And do you know what word is used here? It's a word that means sensible or wise or prudent or shrewd. Phonemus. It's the word that's used for your diaphragm in the, um, in the English. It's not the so- Sophia or the like philosophical. It's the practical. It's the ones who have prepared. It's the street knowledge kind of wisdom that we have. They're the ones who, although they don't know, in fact, because they don't know when the day is coming, what do they do? They bring the extra batteries along, and they have been prepared. They've gone through offense, defense, and special teams each day and every day in preparation for this day, right? Sensible people stay equipped. In fact, the ones who aren't prepared are the ones who are begging for the oil at that time. And this brings us to key point number three. There's a moment that's coming when it will be too late. The voice comes and it cries out, the groom is coming, he's on his way. And even then, it's almost too late for those ones that didn't come with the batteries or the the olive oil that they needed to keep their lamps going and, and go to the wedding feast because they asked the other bridesmaids and the other bridesmaids say no uh, we we only brought enough for ourselves 
And then they said, go out quickly, go out to the sellers. And if they got there in time before the sellers sold, I don't even know if they did or not, but that's not the point of the whole parable. A moment is coming when it will be too late. The foolish ones, they finally do make it to the wedding banquet. And here's another and probably the biggest twist in the whole story is that when they get there, although they had anticipated the groom coming uh, and they weren't prepared, they still knocked on the door expecting to get in. But what happened? The door, it says, is shut. That means that they have to knock. And then they knock, and our, our minds even get stranger here. They knock on the door, and the master that comes to the door, whether it's the groom or whether it's the master of the ceremonies, he had to have known the wedding party, right? He had to have known them personally. They're the ones invited to be part of the wedding. What does he say to them? He says, I don't even know you. That's shocking. And you might think in your head, well, of course he would. Jesus' point in the parable is that there's a moment that's coming that's too late. And if you've turned off God in your life and you've turned off grace and you've turned off all the things that he's offering to you right now in your time of grace, in the end times, there's a day coming that he says, I don't know you. You never got to know me in this lifetime. You never put your faith in me because I was the one calling you. I was the one inviting you. I was the one saying, I'm giving my life to you. I was the one that put people in your life. I was the one that gave you your baptism. The next question is, what can we do to prepare? And if you're listening to this as a skeptic or if you're listening to this as a believer, what is it that we can do to prepare so that never happens to you? And this is the answer. The answer is this. Be alert because you don't know either the day or the hour. How do you be alert, pastor? Well, you've got to be a lot of better than you have been in the past. And so you're going to have to clean up all of your past and every, and you're about to meet holy God, by the way. All of that stuff back there needs to be cleaned up, so you start working on that. And then after you're done cleaning all that up, you better start living a lot better in the present. This is being prepared. This is being alert. This is being sensible. Because if you're going to meet a holy God, you're going to have to start living holy. And then from this day on, all day, each day, every day, until that day, you're going to have to be perfect. Are you ready to do that? Jesus once met a young man that came to him and he said, uh, Jesus, what must I do to uh, inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, um, keep the commandments. Isn't it that simple? Keep them from one to ten. And he said, honor your father and mother. Um, uh, do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not do all of these things. Basically, Jesus was saying, be perfect all day, each day, every day until that day. And what did the man said, he said, I've done all of this. And Jesus says, well, how about this? How about then you sell all of your stuff and you give it to the poor and then you come and follow me? What did the man do? What did he do? He went away sad. Why? Because God can look, Jesus can look into your heart and he can see every corner of it. And he's not going to let any kind of corner and any kind of sin go away. He knew that that man struggled with greed and he struggled with withholding things and he struggled with being more in love with this world than preparing for that day. And following Jesus. And so Jesus pointed it out in his life and said, you better start living a lot better today if you want to be prepared for heaven. The man went away sad. And the disciples came back to Jesus later on. And the disciples put two and two together and they thought in their heads, well, if Jesus can look into the corner of his heart, 
Isn't he looking into the corner of my heart and your heart? He can and he does. And Jesus says to them when they ask him, well, then who? (laughs) Who can do this? And Jesus says, with man it is impossible, but with God nothing is impossible. Which leads me to talk about your groom. Do you remember the culture of their day? About who did all the preparation? Jesus is your groom, and he's the groom of your life. Because you left everything unprepared. And he sees into the corner of, like a spouse, I don't recommend that you have a private conversation with my wife about my personal life. She knows everything about me. Jesus knows everything about you, and he calls himself your groom. He knows every corner of your heart. He knows the best part of you, and he knows the worst part of you. And he sees that just like that young man had greed in his heart, he sees you holding on to little idols. He sees you running after the things of this life and being unprepared for eternity. And then he comes down and he says, I still want to be your groom, and this is how I'm going to do it. I will die for you. I will put all of your sins on the cross. And right there on the cross, just like two, um, a bride and a groom exchange rings, God exchanged his righteousness for your sinfulness, and he put a ring on your finger. And he says, forgiven and beautiful, and my son, my daughter, my bride, family. Do you want to live with that groom forever? Say yes. Yeah, I do. I've used this um, uh, illustration at the beginner, beginning of our newcomers class, which if you're with us for the first time today, I highly recommend. We're right in the middle of it right now, but it's our first steps into um, life here at Holy Word. It's the rope. It's the rope illustration. Um, imagine for a minute that a rope went from this point right here all the way down the aisle, through the entryway, through the parking lot, across the neighborhood, across Dessau, past Samsung to East Texas, and I don't know what countries past East Texas, but it goes there. And then it goes past there, and it goes around the world, and it comes all the way back. Thank you, Stacy, you got it. Right to here. And the rope ends right here. Okay, it's the longest rope in the world. That rope is eternity. Your life on earth is the first inch. We spend so much time in our life worrying about what clothes we're going to wear, right? Or what we're going to post next. We're worrying about the next millimeter in our rope so much. Are our kids going to make it into the best summer camp or the best sports camp? Um, How can I fill my life? And I like entertainment and sports, but how can I fill my life with as much screen time as I can to be filled up with the moment? This is the way that we are tempted by the devil to go through life, but what are we forgetting about? The rope that goes on forever. My encouragement for you today, and Jesus' call from Matthew chapter 25 is this, is that it's a long rope and you can have life with God and your groom forever or you can be really concerned about that first inch. What are you going to do about it? Matthew 24 and 25, what to expect, what to see, what are you going to do about it? And here's what we can do about it today. 
If you've heard the message of grace in your groom, you can believe in him today and have that life and have the assurance that you will never go without God for the rest of life and that heaven is yours and the glories that we heard about in Revelation and all of the beauty of being with God Almighty and singing his praises forever at a banquet is yours. That's yours. But as you prepare, prepare with grace. Grace perseveres when you do not. We can't know what tomorrow brings and we wonder about whether our past is forgiven. Jesus says it is. We wonder in our day-to-day now, as we walk looking forward to that day, am I walking in grace or am I walking in fear? But when you put yourself here in God's Word, you put yourself in the place of grace that says you're walking with God and nothing is going to take away the promise of heaven from you. And you're going to have that every day on your best days and on your worst days. So you're going to live with a peace day-to-day that you won't have if you weren't taking active Um, participation in your preparation. Again, everything is forgiven at the cross. Heaven is yours, but when you take hold of it, it's like your whole soul and your mind get raised up on a daily level when we're going around changing diapers and we're doing work stuff and we're doing all of this depressing stuff that brings us maybe no fulfillment or maybe little fulfillment. We think again day to day about the place that God has put us as his bride. You're going to find that this life is much more fulfilling when you live it with faith and that you're planted in God's word. So about a year ago, I sat at many of your tables, as many of our pastors did, within every member visits, and we pleaded with you and we said to you, we want you to make worship a weekly habit in your life. Why do we say that? We don't say that because it's the offerings. We don't say that because we need an ego boost by having a full church. Why do we say that? Because Matthew 25 says we're living in that moment, and I would hate for anybody, especially you, not to be prepared for that moment when you meet God. And when you stay in the moment of grace, you stay in a, a rich uh, worship life with other believers who are also singing the praises of God, the echoes of heaven, with you here in worship. If it's worship or if it's the daily walk, that you need, the devotional life that you are developing. Um, Talk to your pastors about how to get that daily devotional life and how to become regular in worship because we want you to take an active participation in the coming back of Jesus. And finally, number two, grace prepares you to meet God. Grace prepares you to meet God. Do you remember Billy Connor, anybody? I know, Peggy, you're sitting right there. I didn't give you any warning about this. I'm sorry. I remember sitting um, in Peggy and Billy's living room uh, just a couple of years, maybe a year and a half into my ministry here, and we found out the diagnosis was cancer. Something that would devastate somebody that didn't have oil in their lamp. But do you know what Billy said as we sat across from him? He said, Pastor, it doesn't matter. If I survive, I survive it. If not, that's what God wants, and I'll be with him. Is that man's lamp empty or full? Very full. And I wanted to go back to him time and time again to visit him, not for me to minister to him, but for him to fill up my lamp as well to talk about his Savior. Do you see how grace prepares you for the scariest moments in your life? From that moment on, there wasn't, I'm not saying it wasn't scary, but there was no doubt. There was a resiliency that lifted him and his family above the fray, and that's all by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, his groom. That groom is yours, 
and he gives his life for you at the exchange at the cross. So from this day, all day, every day, each day, until that day, stay with your groom who gave his life for you. Amen.